Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Jerick Show. I am Javad. <laughs> uh, on this week's episode, we have got treason. We've got no bandwidth. Forget MasterCard. Visa is all you need this holiday season. And YouTube is censoring y'all. Welcome to the Jerick Show. Takeover episode. Okay, guys, all together now. Welcome, Welcome to, to the host unknown takeover episode. Timely topics poorly presented. The Jerick Host Unknown Show. Are you serious? You rolled that intro? Are you serious? You know what? I. I... I started laughing because I hit record and then I realized I didn't have the right screen up to, with all the intros and what have you on there. And then and then um, during that whole farce, I accidentally hit the, the other intro, which was pretty well done. And I honestly, I didn't think we um, we, we ever would um, use that again. So I think that's good multi-use out of that, that thing. Anyway, yeah. how are you doing, Eric? Yeah, we're really living up to poorly presented today. Um, yeah. <laughs> otherwise, uh, I'm doing okay. You know, it's uh, it's another week. We're heading into the cooler time of the year. It's it's starting to be less miserable here in Florida. Um, not that it's ever not miserable, but uh, you know, it's less hot. It's it's all good, man. It's all good. Excellent, excellent. So, uh, what's the first story we are going to talk about? That's a great question. I don't have that queued up, do I? A top Russian cybersecurity CEO charged with treason. So will he hang until he's dead, dead, dead? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a, this is an interesting story that's going to be something we want to keep an eye on. Um, just to kind of see how this goes. You know, this is a Russian-based organization. Um, and the CEO is basically being charged with treason. Why? Well, there's all kinds of talk out there. You know, maybe he's holding um, information or not giving information to the Russian government that they want. Um, lots of other ways this could happen. Um, we know the Russian government is known for being fair and balanced in its uh, responses and its policing actions. Um, Firm, so, but fair. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So what's interesting about this, though, is that they do hold a lot of data for people in different countries. And so one of the one of the things from the story I read, uh, one of the releases they made was, it's okay, data is, is being protected because of its geographical locations in other countries. And my thoughts on that were, really? Like, <clears throat> like <clears throat> if, they, if they put the thumb screws to him, um, is it one of these things where he's going to have passwords and be able to give them out, right? I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me necessarily that uh that your data is safe because it geographically resides in another place if they can get to it from russia they can get to it from russia what do you think yeah yeah i think so i think it's um it's the general consensus um and this is general consensus from researchers in the west is that this is just a pressure tactic being put on on the uh, group id um uh, ceo mm. 
It's a, it's a tricky one, though, because I think this also plays very easy into this this one narrative. And I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate just just for a change here, because normally I'm, I'm very agreeable with you, Eric. But, <laughs> you know, I, th I think one thing is that we we've been so accustomed to hearing stories over the years about how um, Russia is very heavy handed. They won't they won't tolerate anyone not cooperating with them. Uh, people mysteriously fall out of helicopters all the time, uh, that kind of stuff. Um, that when something like this happens, all of us immediately jump to the conclusion that, oh, this, is this isn't really treason and what have you. The flip side is it could be. Yeah. No, and I don't disagree. I mean, yeah, our, our default angle tends to be he's innocent, right? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, you make a good point there. The thing is, it, obviously, the the charges are very generic. There's no specifics that are out there, and there's not likely to be specifics out there. I mean, say what you will about the Russians, but they're not known for necessarily being very forthcoming, especially with stuff like this, right? They're not going to give details. It's not going to be, it's not likely to be a public trial, um, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, what it really... What it really brought out to me is the fact that, you know, we do so much work and, and so much now on a global scale that things have really started to um, really started to get to the point that you don't always know where things are happening. Right. So this is a Russian organization. I'll be honest with you. I didn't even really realize it was a Russian organization until this happened. Right. I you mean, did if I was, no, I mean, if I was doing work with them, obviously, I would I would know a little bit more about it. But if you look at the stuff that's, you know, we got Russia involved in a lot of stuff. Of course, they're being blamed for a lot of cybercrime. Who knows? Maybe they're totally innocent of all this stuff, right? Um, but they're being blamed for cybercrime. Uh, but you have Russia, you have, uh, you know, Israel is very involved in a lot of cybersecurity. Uh, and that's, you know, a, a, a touchy point in some people's uh, areas as well. But we're becoming so global these days that this stuff is kind of crossing over. And I'll tell you, as an American who doesn't think anything other than American counts, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> it is pretty interesting to see, like even Kaspersky, and now we have this with Group IB, things emanating from Russia and the willingness to trust that. I, I don't know. It, maybe it's a different era from the, the Firefox days, right? You remember that old uh, Firefox movie? Think in Russian. Think in Russian. Right. Um, things have changed since our Cold War, definitely. But uh, there's still always those kinds of questions. We could talk about that all day, but I don't think anyone's got all day to listen to our, our meanderings. But uh, bandwidth hit with DDoS attack dealing with service disruptions. And um, so DDoS. Hmm. Hey. I, okay, I see. I see what we have there. Ah. I see what we have going on there. Uh, hey, Good-looking guy there, huh? Yeah, yeah. So, so what? What is it? Yeah, <laughs> we get. Yes, <laughs> quoting himself every week. But go on. <laughs> well, this one was. Um, you want? Do you want to just read out your quote here? No, that might I, be. I easier. don't want to just read out the quote there. Okay, uh, but essentially, this was a DDoS attack on bandwidth.com, and they're. They're kind of a back-end provider for a lot of uh, uh, VoIP companies like Ring Central and things like that. Um, and, and we keep seeing this sort of thing where CDNs, um, you know, content delivery networks and stuff are getting hit with stuff and it's affecting other things. And I guess my thoughts on this is, 
you know, we think of the internet as this wonderful, resilient thing. And it really is. Um, you know, if nodes go down here, it reroutes traffic and all this. That's what it was built for is resiliency. But then what we've done is we've taken all that resiliency and we've started piling all of our services into like a couple of major players like Amazon. Yeah. And then now we're actually creating single points of failure <clears throat> through those areas like that because we have these, you know, gigantic, uh, um, just huge organizations running so much of this stuff that when it goes down, when there's a problem, it just wipes out tons of stuff all at once. Um, and so we went from a very resilient thing to where we're putting our eggs in a couple of baskets now and uh, then freaking out when it all goes down. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I, I was, I, I'm just reminded of this tweet someone sent that the internet was designed for resilience, but it wasn't designed for Amazon going down. Um, <laughs> right, right. Well, look at how many times, like some hiccup in a DNS, a major DNS provider has, you know, cut off part of the country or yeah. rerouted data through other places, right? There oh, yeah. Some things like that. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, it, it's, it is incredibly resilient to a point like the, yeah. the backbone is, but yeah, we keep piling all these services on a couple of players and then we're shocked, shocked. I tell you when something within it goes wrong, cause some intern at Amazon, um, yeah. you know, did the wrong, uh, command or something, you know, it's, I know. it's crazy, right? <laughs> Andy, I listened out a tweet the other day and it was something along the lines of, uh, if you put all your burning servers, onto a sinking ship, at least you're partway there to putting out the fires. <laughs> I love that. I love it. You know, it's interesting. I, I've been thinking about this and I've been noticing this as I'm speaking with folks and at conferences and stuff, but you know, there was that real rush to get everything in the cloud. Everything goes to the cloud. Everything goes to the cloud. I'm starting to hear people thinking, you know, maybe some things on prem isn't such a bad idea. And I'm actually seeing a little bit of a trend of people pulling back to some on-prem on things um, just because the cloud is no longer this, everything's got to be in the cloud sort of thing. They're finding that there are some things that are better done on-prem. Yeah, I think there's some things better done on-prem. It, it shows sometimes the lack of uh, strategic thought that was put into moving to the cloud. Um, the other thing is cloud isn't always cheap. Uh, if you look at <laughs> yeah. you know, the, the whole idea was, oh, yeah, it, it's scalable. When you're not using enough, it shrinks down to nothing. And when you're using it, it expands. So you're only paying for, you know, if this is uh, the um, Corey Quinn. Uh, he, he's at the Duckbill Group. And he, they, that what they do, their whole business model is built around trying to get companies to understand what their cloud pricing is and they can reduce it and they will take a commission from from reducing i believe that's that's how they work but he, he literally is is always throwing up stuff about how it's impossible to understand how much your cloud bill is going to be at the end of the month it's just not possible yeah so. if you've ever looked at any of that stuff you know like i've done the amazon lambda account thing you know playing around with spinning things up and i had no idea what the hell it would actually cost me to spin up a server just to play around up there I thought about doing some, uh, um, you know, like honeypot sort of things, just just some things to play around with and learn in up there. And uh, and frankly, I had no idea what it was going to cost. And 
I know that that's not an uncommon thing. By the time you get in, you know, the things that charge for CPU cycles versus, uh, you know, storage and, and all that stuff, it's so convoluted and complex. You know, odds are Amazon's just doing one of these numbers and throwing a dart at a yeah. board and sending you the bill <laughs> and, and you go, okay, that's kind of what we, near it was last time. I mean, who knows yeah. if they even know how to calculate that crap. No, it, it's a bit like the difference between my wife and I when we go shopping. Like she knows exactly what brand of stuff to get and whatever, and she'll get it within the budget. Like every week she'll go and she'll know it's going to be 50 pounds, not a penny more. And I'll go and I'll get the exact same list of items and be like three times the amount. And she's like, how do you manage that? I, said, I don't know. I just saw it. She's like, you're meant to look for the multi-pack offer savings. You're meant to look for this brand one. You're meant to look in that aisle for that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's a skill. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. So security experts urge, urge, I tell urge. you, iPhone users to remove Visa as a transport card via Apple Pay. Now, that's a mouthful. So Apple Pay is on the iPhone. You can attach your credit debit cards to it so that you don't need to carry your cards around with it. Your, your phone carries it around and you tap your phone anywhere you, you, well, you authenticate and you tap it. Now, the transport card is a special streamlined card within Apple Pay. So it doesn't require you to unlock your phone when you make the payment. So when you get to a bus or when you get to a train, you just tap your phone. You don't need to unlock it and it lets you through. So less, less waiting. Right. smoother journey frictionless that's the word i was looking for Ooh, frictionless now you're in marketing <laughs> yeah <laughs> now what researchers at the university of birmingham and the university of surrey two of the most esteemed universities in the uk uh warned that um there's a flaw there and they've contacted apple and they've contacted visa and neither of them have have uh wanted to fix it um, because what you can do is you can, uh, if someone's using Visa, so, so this is this is how it is. All the stars have to be aligned. The victim has to be within close proximity to you to use one of those card readers. They have to have an iPhone. They have to be using Apple Pay, and Apple Pay has to be using a Visa-issued card. If those things align, <laughs> you can then... <laughs> You see where I'm going with this? Oh, yeah. If, if those things align, then you can clone it and you can force a payment onto it to whatever you want. And it, what this floor does is it bypasses the, the preset limits. So you can make a transaction of whatever. So if you've got £1,000 in your account and you know it's available, I'll, I'll get next to you. I'll, I'll tap it on you and boom. So the transport card thing, that is that a European thing? Because um, here in the U.S., we don't ride buses. We all have cars. Um, and then there, there's like two trains that run the, the nation. It's pathetic. It really honestly is. But is that mostly a U.K. or European thing with the transport cards? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I don't have an iPhone, but uh, I, I'm familiar with what an iPhone is. It's it's just like an Android, with <laughs> but with less features. <laughs> it's... <laughs> You know, when I was in London uh, a number of years ago, I actually went to go buy a uh, an Oyster card, right, yeah. uh, for the underground and all that kind of good stuff for public transport. And uh, because I'm American, I didn't have the chip in my card at the time. And it was like, yeah, no, no, you're not scanning for that. There was a limit that of what 
it would take on a swiped card. And it was above that, right? You would think that in this case, be, with it being a specific use, a transportation card, right? Um, that if you charge $1,000 to say a bus ride to Piccadilly Circle <laughs> or Piccadilly Square, that, that perhaps that would not be um, something that would be legitimate. I mean, you would think that there would be some some caps put on that in a way that's not easy to bypass. What do you think? I mean, yeah, you know what? I think a lot of these, I mean, banks, if if nothing else, they're very good at protecting fraudulent transactions. And, and they've worked out the risk tolerances quite well. So why roll out a feature to protect something that's going to cost a half a million pounds to protect if right. your annual loss expectancy is only going to be like five? Yeah, I mean, how, how often does it actually happen? Though? And that's what it exactly. boils down to. It's kind of the real world. You know, it's like we've seen all these vulnerabilities in, in InfoSec that are like, you know, they have their own web pages and, and logos and stuff like that. And then not much happens to them, right? It's yeah. just, it's all, it's all, ah, it can happen. It can happen. And I think this is, you're right. This is very interesting. It's a very limited kind of use source. Um, I do think the whole credit card thing is is interesting because like I contacted my bank to get a new debit card and I said, hey, you know, what What about one of those ones that you can tap? Because I have credit cards they are really yep. handy. You just go up NFC, tap, boom, you're, you're moving. And they were they were kind of like, oh, no, we wouldn't we wouldn't issue those. They're a security risk. And I'm like, how often has that like really happened ultimately that that y'all are just like. You know, I, I myself, I would like a frictionless experience. Yes, yes. It, you know what? We, we've had like uh, contactless cards for, for years now, and people have had them in their phones for years now. And I don't know of anyone that has suffered a loss as a result of one of those transactions. I, yeah. Uh, so um, it, it's actually really, really convenient. You can go out without your, your wallet. You just have your phone with you and yeah. you can get by it. You, it's, it's, it's enough for everything. So well, it's amazing how much stuff is going on these, these days. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't have Apple pay set up on this. Um, not because I'm afraid of it. I just haven't gotten around to doing it, but I'll tell you, I went to the store the other day and I left my wallet at home and I was like, but I always have my phone. Mm. And I was like, man, I wish I had my, I could just dink and, and move on. Yeah, um, but we're getting to the point I've seen where they're doing um, driver's licenses on phones. I already have insurance cards, digital versions on my phone, right? Mm -hmm. All of these things are starting to get to where these little devices we carry around with us every day. Um, it, it I, I have to wonder how much it really will replace our wallet in the near future. Where you're like, oh, I don't have any money, no big deal, beep, and you're done. I don't know about you. I don't carry cash much, anyways. It's all debit card. Yeah. Yeah, they actually also showed since the pandemic, at least in Europe, uh, this is a few months ago, I read a report about how cash transactions have dropped like 88% or something. It's, it's some, some really high high percentage. And the reason for that is because of the, the COVID sort of uh, safety measures and yeah. whatever you shops were asking. And even then smaller shops, they started to get those, um, uh, whether it's Square or something yeah. like that. Those, yeah. they're, they're cheap for them to set up. They have low merchant fees and what have you. They, they have some limits. They said at least spend five or ten pounds before we're going to, you know, let yeah. you do that. But it's it's fine. And um, all was right. Mm -hmm. The government won't need to chip you. They they'll just convince you to carry around a device that does all the tracking <laughs> and everything for you. So hey, um, I met a guy at Gurkhan says he had an RFID chip uh, in his in his hand. 
showed us where the little lump was. I'm like, well, that, that's kind of the way it's going, isn't it? Yeah. What what does that do? That I mean, what, is it is it just for shits and giggles at the moment? At the moment, pretty much, yeah. There yeah. there was an employer a while back that said that um, I think they were doing that, and and employees could use that to badge in. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting, you know. The other thing that's on my phone right now, um, we just bought one of the 2022 Hyundai Tucson's. Um, this will start my car. This will unlock the door. <laughs> you pop it in there. It sets on a little like wireless charger that also acts as the digital key. And I can start my car. I don't have to carry a key with me anymore. Um, I can lock and unlock the doors through Bluetooth. I mean, it's amazing the stuff that we're doing here on our personal devices. And uh, it's it's an interesting time. Um, I'm thinking that my iPhone 7 is probably time to upgrade, given how much <laughs> we do on that. Um, that it's probably a good idea um, because we're going to start losing our um, security updates. But you think about that too, how many people have phones that are older that don't have security updates, but still have things like Apple Pay. And you got to wonder what's going to happen with those in the future. So we, we digress again down another side path. <laughs> um, but there's a lot that's going to be going on here where we're going to have older phones that work just fine that aren't going to have security updates that do still have features like this. I mean, I can put iOS... I think iOS 15 will go on my iPhone 7. Um, and it could stay there for years. Yep. Yep. It can. And uh, Apple is, in this regard, is far better than the very fragmented Android ecosystem where you have so many of these cheap phones which are not basically mm -hmm. non-upgradable. They're just locked down with some vendor bloatware on it and, and what have you, they're packaged. And, and, and the thing is that now, it's like even now, like um, car parking, a lot of it is turned into there, there's a two or three apps in London that are that are really popular. Like it's one of those three apps you'll need. So you don't need to carry around change. You don't need to put it into a machine, which is yeah. great until you realize there's loads of places they don't even have a machine. So you go up there and there's like you have to <laughs> type in the code on which car read you're there and how long you want to park for. Yeah. It's super convenient. But then you know, these sorts of things all start to creep up onto your devices and you become more and more dependent on them. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> Yay. We can talk more about this too. I mean, what a we, haven't world. Even, we haven't even scratched the surface on emerging um, areas like Africa and stuff where most of what they do or a lot of what they do is mobile because they don't have the infrastructure. It's all, they've just gone wireless. They didn't have cables in the ground or fiber in the ground. It's just built on wireless. So, and that's for another time. What do we? What do you say we do that another time? Yeah, but so the last story is, I feel a bit sorry for you, Eric. Where are you going to get your news from now? Because YouTube is to remove all anti-vaccine <laughs> misinformation. Well, maybe not you, but some of your friends and family. Uh, yeah. YouTube, uh, YouTube said it will remove the content that spreads misinformation about all approved vaccines expanding a ban on false claims about COVID-19 jabs. Is this just a case of too little, mm -hmm. too late? It's, you know, it's amazing. It says right there, um, 130,000 videos removed from its platform since last year. That is a drop in the bucket <laughs> um, compared to the billions of hours of video content that's on YouTube. And the other yeah. thing is, you know, you get into this whole... Um, who defines what's misinformation? And I'm mm. not I'm not supporting a lot of the stuff that's out there is utter crap and misinformation. But who makes that call? And how does this work? Is it? It's not done by humans. You know, 
with the amount of videos that are uploaded to YouTube every day, there's no way humans are dealing with this. It's all algorithms, mm. right? It's all, it's all computer stuff doing that. And here's the problem though, is when computer stuff does stuff like that and it goes wrong, have you ever tried to correct something like that? Like get a hold of a person to actually fix it's impossible. What's, what's been mistagged, right? And so who's to say misinformation isn't some, hey, by the way, we found that this may have a positive effect, okay? And I mean, that may be something that's worth discussing among medical professionals, right? But is it going to be yanked because it's misinformation because it's not approved? And is it misinformation if let's say something is approved by the FDA here, but maybe not by your side there in Europe, right? Like, like which one are they going to go with? Um, does it matter if it's, uh, you know, dot com or dot <laughs> co dot UK or, or whatever, yeah, you know? Yeah. Yeah. How do you do that? And I, I think that this has been an ongoing battle with social media for a while and, and YouTube included, you know, we've talked about it way back, um, during the election cycles and when there were a lot of the things going on with, uh, um, with the black lives matters things, there was a lot of information that was put out there from accounts that were, that were literally throwing out very decisive stuff on both sides of the fence, very close to each other. They were simply trolling things yep. to help divide. And it's, it's been such a problem for so long. Now we've realized it and everything seems to come back to that. But I think that there is some importance with ensuring that things aren't blatantly false. But again, who makes that call? Some algorithm? I don't know. It's it's really tough. Uh, and this this also has a lot of unintended consequences, such as impact on comedy, parody, satire, yeah. um, just, just a whole bunch of things. And we, we've seen this already impact so many people like they've made a joke about something and people have taken it seriously or it's taken out of context or or, yeah. or what have you so it's it's not something that i think even with our combined intelligence we can solve <laughs> at least not on this on this episode right now right, right, <laughs> right. well what about this too like i know um people over here with facebook you know it's becoming a badge of honor to have been put in timeout by Facebook for posting crap, right? It, it's become a badge of honor to do that. Oh, look, I'm back off of my Facebook ban. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, for the love of all that's good in this world, you know? Um, you got to wonder if that's going to start start being kind of over there. And and here, you know, in America, everybody yells about their First Amendment rights, um, which is the, the right to free speech. And I think people misinterpret that because basically that means the government will not limit your free speech. But if you're on a private platform, all bets are off. And, and people seem to not understand how that works. They think that they can say whatever they want, whenever they want, and not be, uh, you know, not have to deal with the rules of that individual platform. It's it's such a messy thing right now. Have, if, have you ever had your, your free speech interrupted? And with that, we will <laughs> wrap up the show. Apologies for the technical hiccups today and uh, stay secure, my friends. <laughs>